that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is the Monday edition, October 19th. I'm Nathan Baird, Cleveland.com. He's Doug Lee Reese. We made it, you guys. It's Ohio State football opening weekend. It only took us, you know, two months longer than it was supposed to take, but here it is. Doug, you've been splitting time with us on our uh, Browns coverage and, and doing a lot of Browns coverage in addition to your work here at Buckeye Talk. So your football season's already started for you, right? Like you've been in the middle of it now for several weeks. Does anything feel different with this, like turning into uh, an Ohio State week where we're going to have interviews and we're going to have an actual Ohio State football game to cover? It was interesting. I mean, like Sunday is NFL day in my head. I mean, the head of everybody in, the, in America. Mm-hmm. But you started seeing these tweets from Ohio State football players on Sunday of game week because it's Sunday is the first day of the game week for these guys. It's often a recovery day, but it's a film day. It's a look back day. You know, watch the tape, learn from what you did, and then you get out on the practice field. And so that struck me. I don't know who I think it might have been Jeremy Ruckert's twitter that i saw that it was like game week. i was like man it really is like it's nfl game day sunday but it's also the first day of ohio state's first game week of the 2020 football season and then i was also looking up some things and i was like trevor lawrence has played five games and that struck me and i was like Mm -hmm. i can't believe how much college football has happened because some of this stuff it's like i don't care if texas san antonio has played some of this is oh but it's like Clemson matters. Clemson matters to Ohio State more than any team in the country. They've played five games. And that's something I want to get into. I just sent something to our tech subscribers about it, but it's a point I want to bring up. It really drove home for me everything we already know, which is how different this season is, that it's finally here for Ohio State. But, man, a lot of other teams have been playing, for lack of a better word, a kind of normal season, which is also weird to think about. Well, it's been a normal season, but it's also been an abnormal season because you've had postponements. You've had other, you know, Nick Saban initially testing positive for COVID-19. That's been very present. Even when the Big Ten hasn't been playing, that's been forcing its way into the national conversation of the leagues that are playing. Obviously, the Big Ten season starting in less than a week now, and we didn't even get through really the first day of the first game week without some news along that, along those lines. Uh, Purdue coach Jeff Brom had a presumptive positive for COVID-19. They're waiting to get the second tests or the third test or however many it will take, I guess, to, to, to verify that. Um, so now that's – the league starts off with that sort of urgency of like, oh, yeah, this is still like very much right in your face. You didn't – just because you started late, you didn't avoid this problem. It's still going to be something that's maybe kind of like creeping over the back of this league every week now. And I think we're going to have to just be in the mindset of expecting something like this to probably pop up almost every week. Yeah, it's still hard to ha- wrap your head around, though. I mean, like when, when it came out that Dan Mullen from Florida had tested positive after all the stuff he had said, it was like, man, of course the Saban news was huge. The Jeff Brom news again, but then it's like, well, is it a positive? You got to get a second one. Is it really a positive? Is it right. a false positive? I still don't know. Was Saban's then in the end a false positive? Is that how he wound up coaching? He ended up, I think he got two or three more tests from, I think, multiple places that all ended up being negative. So he they, they considered that first one invalid, which I think makes sense. I mean, that's, yeah. So, but I think that's what we're going to be dealing with in the big 10. Like if you test positive the night before a game, it may not be a, a, a true positive test. We'll find out along the line, but I don't know that they're going to have enough time to get the other test that clears you before that game on Saturday. And I just don't know. I mean, it's, I, I don't have an answer to this. 
Alabama played a tight game with Georgia. They, they were down, right, and they came back and then won that game. Would they have won that game if Nick Saban was at home? I don't know. I mean, uh-huh. your staff is there. Your, your play callers are there. You have great assistants. Steve, Steve Sarkeesian on the offensive side had a really good game plan. I think offensively people are giving a lot of praise. So, so I, guess, I guess they maybe – but then we can't pretend that a, a coach on the sideline on, on Saturday doesn't matter. So I will say as we go into this, and this is the – we've been trying to walk this line the whole time on Buckeye Talking with our coverage. We can't get – we can't just get, get overwhelmed by it because you can't – there are going to be what-ifs that we don't know. You have to be prepared for it. As we sit here right now, I don't think I'm alone. I'm certainly more worried about COVID-19 – in regards to this Big Ten football season, this college football season, and just the country heading into fall than I was a couple weeks ago because all across the country, numbers are going up again. And again, we can't obsess as we try to analyze Ohio State football, but boy, oh boy, you just got to have that somewhere in your head. Well, I know that Las Vegas pays attention because we saw the line move with that Alabama game when, when Saban tested positive. And today I saw, I had just seen the actual Vegas lines were first coming out. I know some other lines came out from Europe or whatever early in the week, but the Vegas lines came out earlier today and Purdue was a two point favorite at home against Iowa. And then the Brom news came out and I saw someone tweet that Iowa was now a three and a half point favorite at Purdue. And so that's, I mean, that's a almost six point swing off of just, just the coach potentially being out. So, I mean, can I ask, is Brom, you would know this, is Jeff Brom the play caller? For, or is his yep. brother the play caller? Or does Brom I believe have Jeff Brom is the play caller. I believe Jeff Brom is the play caller. At least he was in the, the first season when I covered that team, I believe. So it's, it's funny to think about from the standpoint of Ohio State, let's say in 2018, when they didn't have Urban Meyer on the sideline for a couple games. But Urban was there for some of the practice weeks. But Ryan Day's there on the sideline being the head coach for three games. But Ryan Day's also the play caller. So I actually think like Urban Meyer in 2018, and it took a long time for Urban to really give up some of the offensive play calling duties that he gave it up that year more than any year in his career. Urban Meyer 2018, you, if he wasn't there, that wasn't as big a loss as I think Ryan Day in 2020 would be from a play calling perspective because Ryan Day is calling the plays. Now, Kevin Wilson can, and Kevin Wilson is a co-coordinator and is very important, and he certainly could step in and call the plays. But when you've got a coach who is – in the moment deciding it's third and six, what are we doing offensively or defensively? I think that ramps up how you would maybe affect a betting line or view a coach's loss. And so that does make sense to me that Brom would potentially be a really big loss for Purdue if he's not there. I don't like to to speculate on this stuff, but in in some ways it is interesting. And I think it may be relevant this season. Who do you think would be the acting head coach for Ohio State if because they said they, I asked that Ryan Day this a few weeks ago, and he said that they do have contingency plans. They've done it in their scrimmage periods, and they were going to use their scrimmage periods to kind of run through some of these scenarios. They'd already done it a little bit in the preseason, like because they'd already seen like Virginia Tech played a few games without its defensive coordinator because of of COVID nineteen. That guys can't just be coaches can't be at the game sometimes. So, who do you think would be Ohio State's acting coach? I'm I'd be pretty sure that it's Kevin Wilson. Uh, when they went with Ryan Day in 2018, it was like, well, they had two former head coaches on the staff in Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson that they didn't go with. So that was kind of like, hey, it's Ryan Day. But now, I mean, you just have Kevin Wilson in that role. You know, it's not, it's not going to be Brian Hartline. It's not going to be Greg Studrawa. It could be Tony Alford, I think. I don't think it would be Larry Johnson, even though Larry Johnson is so respected. It maybe would be Kerry Combs, but I think to keep it in the offensive family and the fact that Kevin Wilson was the head coach in Indiana for a long time, I would guess him. I actually think it might be Tony Alford. I think if I were doing it, I would pick someone who isn't a coordinator. 
That's a good point. Just to not have that on their plate. Let, let free up. Kevin, you're calling those plays. Carrie, keep doing your thing. Tony, you're in charge of keeping keeping the train on the tracks. That's not a yeah. bad idea. And you have to you have to do your Zoom call with us goofballs. You have to go do the radio show. You have to take care of all that kind of maintenance stuff. I mean, hopefully this never comes to a problem for Ohio State or any other team. But um, it's interesting to think about because it's one of those things that I think they are actually in, – in a, in a random year, you don't really have to deal with this. I saw – you see it happen sometimes when a coach gets fired late in the season. You still have to play a bowl game or you still have to play out a season. But – Usually, I don't think you really have a, a real set in stone plan for what happens in that scenario, but I think this year they will. I think they probably have something sketched out to deal with this. So we are going to kind of apply a, a format of sorts to our Monday podcasts. Mark, that Monday is dead in case you didn't It's not dead. It's like dormant. It it's dormant. It's in a coma. It's in a coma. It's like hibernating. It's like a bear. It's like a big, fierce, grizzly bear, and it's going to just go hibernate for the winter as they do. That makes sense. I like that. I like to. I would like to cuddle with a hibernating bear. <laughs> You'd like to cuddle with Mark it down Monday. Yeah, I would. So yeah. So just in case you're waiting for us to mark something down, we're not exactly marking anything down. But, but we may Nathan throw has, that phrase around, but not in a formal way. Not in like a legal way, like we usually do, where you're like bound to a, but by like a court of law, as we often are. As Chancellor Barrett would apply, mark it down Monday is binding doctrine. Um, but Nathan has come up with a very interesting set of categories and a structure for this Monday podcast in its new form during the season, I think, to be a lot of fun and very interesting. Yeah, and we, um, we're going to start off each week with a chance for Doug to tell me how much of an idiot we are. So we're going to start off, I call this category ballot boxing, and it's because I fill out a top 25 ballot each week for the AP poll. And I, I'm sure that every week Doug looks at it and thinks, who is this idiot and why is he ruining the good name of cleveland.com with these terrible votes. So I'm going to give him a chance right here off the bat. Let's get it out of the way. Where did I get it wrong? So I was an AP voter for a while. I, I, I was a, an AP voter who of a very specific way um, that some people liked and a lot of people hated. I took my ballot very seriously, as I know you take your ballot very seriously, Nathan. And I will say, I looked at your ballot today and I was looking at the records of all the teams you know, the, as you had them ranked and you had their records next to them. And I had a mental break. I was, I almost had to, I, I lost it because I was like, I have no idea how anybody could vote in the top 25 right now. Cause it's like, Oh, <laughs> it's, number it's five, zero and zero. Number yeah. eight, zero and zero. Uh, number, Oh, I think Oklahoma state is better than Penn state. I have, it brought it home for me. The absolute insanity of even attempting this. And now, doesn't mean it shouldn't be attempted. It has to be attempted because you have to have a, a ranking. Honestly, if Ohio State was opening against Nebraska on Saturday and they were unranked Ohio State, that would stink. You've got to have a way to call them something. But in looking at, like, I couldn't come up with anything because what am I going to do, argue? Like, I thought some people think that Notre Dame might be underrated. I think you have them six. I'm going to really argue that Notre Dame should be higher. I'm not. I mean, like, I was almost like, well, I think you could have Penn State higher. They're on they're, – they haven't played a game. How do, the one team that I found interesting, and this would go against some of what I would vote, but I did find it interesting, I think you have BYU 15th at 5-0. and yep. BYU, as, uh, as they've been an offensive machine in four of their five games. One game that was in the, in the 20s. I think they've scored 40 in all their other games. They have this little quarterback that everybody's going crazy for. And I know that you are often more open to sort of the non-Power 5 teams in general than I was as a voter. 
I thought if you wanted to lean into it, you could be like, well, screw Texas A&M or like some of these other, you know, SEC or ACC teams who have a loss or two and whatever, but how good are they really? Like BYU is taking care of business, even against a terrible schedule. I thought if you wanted to go down that road and make a case for BYU as a top 10 team, I think you could because you could kind of make a case for everything. And given your proclivities, I was a little surprised that you hadn't done that. I think my proclivities have a ceiling. Like there's a point at which my, my have to set talk. my proclivities aside. <laughs> my, procli- my proclivities have a ceiling. Yeah, I mean, it's at some point you do have to still prove it against somebody good. And a team like Texas A&M, like their one loss now is to Alabama. I mean, come on. Like that's – you you lose – like teams get beat by Alabama doesn't mean they're crap. So right. you have to – there is some reactive voting that goes on out there. Um, I think I had Texas A&M in the top ten still, and, and they may prove to be, be even better than that. I did pull Auburn all the way out of my poll. They were not ranked this week. I still have not been voting for Oklahoma. And see, that's what's also thrown a lot of this off, too. It's like not only do you have all these Big Ten schools that have not played a game, you have some other teams that have played, like, you know, two or three games, some of them have played five, and then you've got teams, like, that are supposed to be up there. Like, if you had told everybody before the season that we'd be a month into this thing and Oklahoma and Texas and Auburn now are like potentially out of people's top 25 ballots altogether, I don't know that they would have believed you. So it, that's really – screw things up for a lot of people. I, and I also don't have enough proclivities about non-Power 5 schools to be voting for people like Coastal Carolina, and which Co- is an argument Coastal I was Car- having today on Twitter. Coastal Carolina made the top 25, right? They're number Did 25 they now. Yeah, yeah, because they were getting too much. They, this is what was going to happen. You're going to have all the people that pulled, the, pulled all the Big Ten and Pac-12 teams out of their ballot. So then they have to vote for somebody. So then that's how – Coastal Carolina starts getting like number 25 votes and then they beat another overranked overrated team in Louisiana, not Louisiana state, just Louisiana. They beat them. And now all of a sudden, Oh, well that means they're good. So now they're in a the top 25. And then next week, the, this completely probably lose to Georgia state and the world will turn, return to normal. But it's, it's, this is, those are the kind of things that I think give the AP poll a bad name. And I do, I respect the fact that like you don't have Texas, you have neither Texas nor Oklahoma on your ballot. Right. And I'm not sure right now. At I'm some sure point, I probably will have to because the well, other teams I'm voting at the bottom. earn it right. back. Right. I mean, right. if you're two and two, but if you know you're five and two, then you, you can yeah, you can absolutely earn it back. Yeah. But I bet they are in the top twenty-five. I bet Oklahoma and Texas both. I are. didn't even. I forgot to look. So that's okay. You don't have to look because you don't care what anybody else thinks. Just I vote don't. your ballot. So yeah. I actually thought your ballot's good, and I, and I think you're going. I think you're going about it the best way that you could do it. And, you know, we don't want to get bogged down too much in a poll that doesn't matter. But I do think it's more interesting right now as Ohio State tries to sort of weave its way through this mess and and what will happen next week. Because I did want to ask you, in general, what do you think of the people who are just not voting for teams that have not played yet? And then do you expect that what kind of jump will Ohio State make? with a, a decent win over Nebraska, because I would imagine all those teams, all those voters who are just saying no to them right now, which is knocking them down, will start putting them in and they'll start jumping up. I would assume so, yeah. I think if, if Ohio State really takes care of business against Nebraska, I think they're probably going to, I mean, again, I didn't look today to see how many people are still not including them at all on their ballot, but I think it's a pretty big, there's still several that weren't voting for them at all. I saw them getting voted as low as like, I think maybe like eight or so. I have to go back and look at the thing, but there are people who are still voting, you know, Georgia and Notre Dame ahead of them. And I think that'll change. I think once you, you know, once if Ohio State comes out and really thumps Nebraska, even though Georgia had looked good and their only loss now is against Alabama in a game that was competitive into the second half, I think they're going to 
probably push ahead of them. So I, I think they're going to slide up, but I think it's going to be tough for them. Maybe I don't know what gets them above Clemson or Alabama for a while, even if they beat Penn state, it, it might take, they might be kind of stuck at third for a while because I think people are impressed by what they've seen from Clemson. I think they're, people are impressed by what they saw from Alabama this past week, not so much the week before, but this past week. I do think, so I would guess there are five right now in the AP poll. Right. Uh, I would think if they beat Nebraska a week from now, they'll be third. They maybe would be fourth. If Notre Dame's still undefeated, if Notre Dame has five wins, they might still, be, Ohio State might be fourth. I don't want to make a prediction. I think it's very possible Ohio State does not get above third the whole year. That they just, yeah, there's nothing me. that can get them. If Clemson and Bama don't lose, I'm not sure there's anything that can get them past Clemson and Bama because they have such a head start. Bama beat number three and Clemson dropped 72 on Saturday. And that is locked in people's heads. And I'm not sure what's going to shake it. And as we talked about it, we did the whole big thing about the gap in the ACC and the big 10 Clemson is going to get to play Notre Dame in a couple weeks. If they win that game, that'll be impressive. I, I just think maybe Ohio state's going to be third from next week until December 19th, and they'll go to the playoff as the three seed. Yeah, well, it's important to remember, though, that the AP vote doesn't have anything to do with the, the CFP rankings. So sure. that may actually be we, – we've seen that happen in the past, obviously. So I, I think you might be right, though. I mean, and by the end of last season, I thought you could – if someone had voted Clemson number one late last season, I don't know if I would have – I wouldn't have agreed with it, but it wouldn't have been stupid. Like, they were playing really well by the end of last season. So there were really, it was a kind of a, there were three potential number ones by the end of last season, I thought. And I think, you know, if, if Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State all keep taking business, I think the same thing's going to hold true this season. I did just want to say this, Nathan. I do think if Ohio stays third, it will be very interesting for Ohio State fans to watch the battle for number one, because that will determine sort of like maybe the order of when Ohio State has to play these two teams that I think a lot of us think they're going to have to go through to win the national championship. Will it be Bama first, then Clemson, or Clemson first, then Bama? Because I do think that fight for number one, if Clemson looks awesome, but the SEC is better than the ACC, and it goes back, and I do think that could be a very interesting battle for the top spot. And I think it sets up a bunch of really interesting things. Like if Ohio State and Clemson play in the semifinal, like that's obviously a game that Ohio State's been waiting a year for. How do they respond then? If they happen to win, how do they then move forward from that to play Alabama? I know it's a national championship game, but you've got all sorts of emotional things tied into that, so – um, yeah, I think, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves because a lot can still happen between these next two months. Second topic is called, I call it margin call. And this is, we're going to be buying or selling a team, a player, a coach, whatever we want to look at it, um, on the, on the national level, on the big 10 level, but who, who are we buying? Who are we selling for this week? Uh, I'm going to let you go first to kind of kick off this segment. Well, uh... I would like to make a margin call on Stetson Barnett the fourth. We believed in him down in Athens. Our boy let us down against the Crimson Tide. I believe he was six of 31 for 17 yards in that game. And he shrunk during the game. He started the game at five foot, ten and a half inches. By the end of the game, he was five, five and a half inch. <laughs> and I found that unacceptable and it made me wish that Justin Fields had remained a Georgia Bulldog. I did tweet afterward. I said, if you had your moxie filled, what's his name? I don't even care. Stetson Barnett story ready. If you had your moxie filled Stetson Barnett story ready and loaded and holstered, I hope you got it out. And I know ESPN got it out in the pregame 
Because I think they did the thing. I didn't watch it because why would I watch that? I think they did the thing where they had him read like the mean things people said about him. Oh, here's Stetson Barnett. Read the story about how he's little. He's not a good quarterback. You know why people wrote that? Because he's not a good quarterback. It's disingenuous. I hate media disingenuous crap. When you write and you do a story, not for your audience, but you do it for the person it's about. Look at this underdog. He'd average like 215 yards a game. He'd thrown five touchdown passes in three games as Georgia played nobody. And so you do a pace to Kim feel better when the reality always was Georgia tried to recruit nine people over him and failed, and they had to play him because they didn't have anybody else. And he's not good enough. So don't lie to your readers and make up some bogus thing about some underdog story that's going to fall on its face as soon as he plays a real defense. Listen, he made a couple good throws. He also had five balls bad at the line because he's 5'10". He is not He is not a championship quarterback. The quarterback spot is holding them back. If Georgia had Justin Fields, they'd win the national championship. I think Georgia, 1 through 21, very well might be better than Ohio State. Very well might be better than Ohio State. They've got some dudes on defense. They've got some playmakers. They might be better one through 21. I know where they're not better. They're not better at quarterback, and that's the big difference. And I'm not going to go down the road. Listen, I get it. You're in a tough spot. Jake Fromm was an experienced starter. You still you thought Jake Fromm. Kirby Smart really thought Jake Fromm was a national championship-level quarterback, and he bet on the wrong guy. It's not inexcusable. doesn't mean Kirby Smart should be fired, but he bet on the wrong guy. And now they have nobody. And they have nobody. But if you're a media member and you write or do a story for the person it's about, instead of the people who are paying your salary, reading your stories, listening to your podcast, watching your show, it's disingenuous crap. And I get it. Everybody likes an underdog story. But if you're trying to sell that guy pre-Alabama as like, hey, maybe Stetson Barnett. I got to look up his name. Maybe Stetson Barnett, the fourth, is actually going to lead Georgia anywhere. You're lying to yourself. And you're lying to your audience. And that's not, how, that's not the way this business works. There are too many people in this business who do stories for the people the stories are about. That's not what this business is. It's about telling fans what the real deal is. And the real deal on Stetson Barnett is his, he's not good enough. And Georgia better figure out quarterback or they're not going anywhere this year. I wrote about this in my Monday Madness column of you guys want to check that out at cleveland.com slash OSU. And I, I thought the low hanging fruit was to say that of course, Cleveland or of course, Georgia would be in a more, a better position with Justin Fields, but so would every other team in the country. Like there aren't very many teams that you could possibly argue would not take Justin Fields over their quarterback. I mean, there's a very, very, very small handful where that would even really be a conversation, but how much better would Georgia be right now if they just still had Jake Fromm from last year who left school early to go be a fifth-round draft pick? How much better would they be if just Jamie Newman had stayed, a guy who won eight games of nothing at, at Wake Forest last year? But you can go look at his numbers. I mean, they were they were legitimately good. Like, the guy has football talent. Like, I think if either of those guys were here, that's a better game Saturday night, and Georgia's playoff chances are much more realistic. The way it is right now, I, I agree with you. I think that quarterback position may just hold them back from – what could have been, I think, a, a pretty special season for them. Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett. I always call him Stetson Barnett. I'm not being dismissive of him. I'm being dismissive of media who play into illogical storylines because they think it, it's heartwarming to talk about a guy who's not good enough and pretend that he is. 
Right. Well, I think you see some examples of that on probably every beat too. I mean, you know, the, the, the what? I've never heard a reporter on Ohio State write a disingenuous story about a hot woman, young man for the Buckeyes. Oh, you mean it happens ten times a year? Oh, great. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, my my team, I am selling. I feel like now I feel like bad. Like we're just we're both going to be selling every week. We're both going to have somebody that we're selling every week. But I'm I'm selling Notre Dame as a playoff team. Maybe that's too early. Um, you said I think I had them six. So now that sounds like contradictory. That I've still got them pretty high. Um, but I'm looking at what they did against Louisville on Saturday. And I, I think Louisville has this, a talented team. They were a top 25 team or top 25 caliber team earlier this year. But they're obviously not that consistent, not that dynamic, and haven't been getting it done. Um, I look at their score against Duke earlier this year. Duke, another very kind of pedestrian team. I know that was the first game of the year. But I feel like a playoff team should be coming out and, like, really taking it to these teams. And I'm, I'm not seeing that from Notre Dame. So I'm selling them right now. I'm not saying that they can't show that eventually. Um, there may be things underlying in that performance that hint that there's there's something more there. They're going to get a, a, another chance to show it. Their next game is against Pittsburgh, which is another one of those teams that's like not a great team, but at least a team that you can't sleepwalk through and, and beat, I don't think. And maybe they'll start showing against once the, the, the competition in the ACC starts ratcheting up a little bit. They do still have to play Clemson at some point. Um, I think it'd be good for college football if they could give them a great game and, and doesn't make the ACC just another cakewalk for Clemson. But, but right now, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. And one of the reasons why I'm still voting them as high as I am is because, again, like a lot of the other teams that we assume to be really good have kind of fallen off. And some of the other teams that we think might be good, like how much weight do you really want to put behind Penn State and Wisconsin and Oregon right now? I, I still have them up there, but uh, it's, it's so speculative. Um, I, I, I just I don't know if I see it. I still think that maybe that fourth playoff team is coming out of the SEC somehow. Well, we have a playoff thing at the end. We have a playoff thing at the end where the, the, the two of us are going to pick our, our four for the playoff each week as it stands. And I'm very curious to see where you go with that because I had a hard time coming up with that. It's hard to tell. And we're dealing with this. Like, and I was just on a post-game Browns podcast. You know, a single game doesn't tell you everything about a team. And I think in the NFL, that's more true because there's parity built into the NFL and you can have a, a team can make you look bad. You can come back the next, you have a bad Sunday. I mean, sometimes in college, there's so, you have so much more talent or whatever that it's like falling short. I don't know. They did not look good against Louisville and Louisville is not that good. Um, but I think Ian books like a real dude, Chris Tyree freshman running back. They have interests me. And, and I just, I was very curious. It felt like the reaction from some of the national writers I follow after that Notre Dame win was not ugh, Notre Dame, but it was like, Hey, they had a weird day, but they actually might be better than you think. And so I don't have a strong opinion on it. Cause I only, I watched like half the Louisville game and it was not that impressed, but I'll be very curious they're going to get their shot against Clemson. And we've seen a couple of these other teams that have gotten a shot against Clemson so far. I think I even mentioned Georgia Tech a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Like, hey, Jeff Collins, Georgia Tech, they lost the – Clemson literally could have scored 100 if they wanted to on Georgia Tech. That wasn't it. Miami wasn't it. North Carolina, who we thought might be it, they lost to Florida State, right? Great comeback, but they lost to Florida State. I, I still – I'm not sure. I'm not disputing you. I think you're right. But I also think there's like a sliver of like Notre Dame, like kind of looks bad, kind of looks bad, kind of looks bad. And then when the chips are down against a good team, it's like, oh, wait, they actually can compete. So I'm, I'm going to be – that's the game, as it turns out, that's going to matter in the ACC. All this other may, stuff I think is pretend. And they may be able to do it by just showing up for that one game in a real way, like showing up, showing up, and then taking care of business the rest of their season. But if they can beat Clemson, I think, you know, anything's possible for them. So let's take a break. We're going to come back with the next segment of our – Monday Buckeye Talk. 
All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. I called this one Story of the Week. We're going to kind of transition now into the Ohio State portion of this podcast. And we, we, there's still going to be some options here to talk about kind of things on a national level, but um, mostly how Ohio State applies to the national level, which we really got finally get to start talking about based on what we actually see on the field starting this week, which is going to be nice. But um, I'm calling this one Story of the Week. So what is, like, as, as we start this week, and a lot of times it's going to be based off of not necessarily based off of, but affected by the game that was just played on, on Saturday. We don't have that this week. So it's more just looking at this matchup, this Ohio state versus Nebraska matchup. What is like the, the angle that you feel sort of kind of defines this week for Ohio state going into the next game. Can I say an opponent thing? Sure. Is that, that was that. Uh, no, hundred percent. I don't know who Nebraska's quarterback is going to be. So they have had this battle between Adrian Martinez, who a year ago people were saying might be better than Justin Fields. That was wrong. And Luke McCaffrey, who's the brother of Dylan McCaffrey the, and the brother of Christian McCaffrey, Dylan McCaffrey, the Michigan quarterback who just transferred. And they've been having this back and forth quarterback battle. Feels like Frost has kind of been pumping them both up. And listen, am I in favor of like trying to play two quarterbacks? No, I think that never works. If Ohio State doesn't know who the Nebraska quarterback's going to be at kickoff, and if they play both, it's something extra for Ohio State to prepare for. And if Scott Frost is grasping at straws to try to find a way to compete with Ohio State, maybe this is it. Maybe some kind of funky quarterback thing where you're changing series to series and one guy does this and one guy does that, and you're not leaning on one guy. Adrian Martinez has not looked good against Ohio State the last couple of years. Um, I'm just curious how that goes. I feel like we have a pretty good handle on Ohio State. I am very curious to see exactly what the running back workload looks like. But I just think in terms of like affecting the game, I think Ohio State's going to be Ohio State. I'm just curious if the 10% chance Nebraska has to make it interesting is wrapped up in a weird quarterback rotation where they both play pretty well and Ohio State has trouble getting ready for them. Now, Adrian Martinez didn't look good last year. He looked awful last year I mean he was he was almost he was like repugnant last year at that game in Lincoln but he looked pretty good as a freshman he had a good game as a freshman where they 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 put up they they was a 36-31 final I think but they were leading Ohio State at halftime in Ohio Stadium but that was kind of part of the hype that was like I mean this is where everybody was like oh look at what he is he's just a freshman think of what he's going to be next year and then we saw what he was the next year and we're like ooh. and then so I think you're right it's I've been reading that I I don't know I've been meaning to reach out to some Nebraska people and I probably will tonight, but it's like, is, is that competition for real or is it a thing? Cause I also saw Scott Frost saying, well, I think that maybe Adrian didn't take his preparation seriously enough going into last season. And maybe this was a way to kind of spark him a little bit. I, I saw something else from the offensive coordinator from just earlier this month. So we're talking about within the last two weeks saying um, he's our starter as of today. So I guess that kind of leaves it out there. I would be surprised, I guess, if Adrian Martinez doesn't start. I think you're right, though. I, I This is what fans always are, like, clamoring, like, why aren't they naming a backup quarterback? Why aren't they saying who's going to start at this or that? And why aren't they saying what they're going to do? I'm like, because it doesn't do anything except satisfy your curiosity. It does not help them in any way on the field win the next game if they tell Ohio State today – who's starting at quarterback last year when Ohio state named Justin Fields, the quarterback, it was just ending a charade that should never have taken place. Like everyone knew he was going to be the starting quarterback, but this year, if there is any, if there is any real reason for doubt and you can 
plant that kind of uncertainty in your opponent or just have your opponent thinking about it again for just a few minutes here and there in their game planning. I don't see what the harm is. And I think Adrian Martinez probably has embraced that too. I saw he, he was interviewed and he, he said something about it being a friendly competition. And uh, I think he likes that he's being pushed or thinks he's being pushed. Um, but he's got, he's somebody who's got a lot of proof. I mean, frankly, him and Scott Frost came in at the same time. This program has not turned the corner. Adrian Martinez did not turn the corner. This is a big year for them and it starts with a big game. I don't think this is going to happen, but I still think Scott Frost is a good coach. And Adrian Martinez, you made a good point. I was wrong about that. He was good a couple of years ago. He has flashed at times. I think this could, I mean, this is an interesting spot for Ohio State to get Nebraska. That it's like, what if this is the year that Scott Frost and Nebraska does get it together? And I'm not, I, I'm not betting on it. I, I bet on it last year and I was terribly wrong. But if this is the year, this is a tough time to get him. Off a pandemic, you know, this is not, this is not Illinois. This is not Rutgers. I think there's a, again, I think there's a 10% chance that it's like, aha, Nebraska figured it out in 2020. And the way we realized they figured it out is because they came out and had something for Ohio State. I'm not, I'm like Nate Silvering this, 538. I'm not predicting it, but on my percentage breakdown of, you know, I think it's an 89% chance that Ohio State has its way for 60 minutes. And I think there's an 11% chance that Nebraska has something. I don't think there's an 11% chance that Nebraska wins, but this is a young Ohio State defense. And if they, if Frost has a plan and the quarterbacks had a good competition, I just would, would keep that in the back of your mind. Keep those percentages in mind. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. My story of the week, it's sort of a corollary to that is just the Ohio State defense. It's, it's the, do the cornerbacks, does the secondary settle in and, and play with some poise like they're going to need to this season? And especially, again, we just don't know exactly what's happening on the interior defensive line. With Martinez, a guy who's a dual-threat quarterback, he can run the ball. His escapability, that, that becomes an issue up front, I think. Um, they are taking – I saw uh, Wandale Robinson, who's a guy who they were moving around a lot last year. It sounds like he's been focusing – more at receiver this year, which could potentially be an issue for, you know, giving, giving him a chance to maybe be a little bit more refined at that position. And now that's going to be a tough matchup for somebody. I don't know if it'll be Sean Wade or how they'll move him around in the, in the receiver core. So uh, I think you're right. I think Scott Frost can coach football and I think he's going to have something schemed up. It's just a matter of whether they actually have the horses against Ohio state. And this year with just, again, the dip that you're expecting a little bit on defense, maybe especially to start the season as some guys are kind of getting their feet under him. I, 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 I'm there's a part of me that just still thinks again I don't know if it's to an upset level but I, I don't think people should maybe overreact if Nebraska can move the ball on Ohio State a little bit here in the first week but Ohio State obviously still has to be ready enough to to not let it be a problem we have plenty of time to do this all week when we make predictions and do outrageous predictions and do a bunch more podcasts but like you know one of those things where Nebraska's ahead 14 to 6 early and yeah. then you know people are freaking out and then by the end Ohio State wears them down with better depth, with better talent. They get their feet under them and they pull away. But I think that's on the table. All right, next up is walk the line. This is where we look at the Ohio State point spread and talk about, you know, whether we think that's a little bit too high or too low. Uh, it opened via uh, Circa, which is like usually the first Vegas one that, that comes out at 23. Oh, I'm sorry, 23 and a half. And it's now at 25. And it's actually DraftKings, I see it's at 26 and a half. So um, you obviously thinking it's going to be a 29 point game went and threw a lot of money on that line to get it pushed back up a couple numbers. Um, 
I thought that was about right. I thought 23 made a lot of sense to me. Although I, I think it's interesting to look at 23 in really, and this may be why the number's moving. You look at 23 in relation with the over under line, which was 71 and a half, which is the second highest point total opening line in the country for this week. Those didn't really match up to me. I, you can't really do the math that way. The numbers aren't set that way, but it, it does make me wonder if that's why people have started betting it that other way, because the only way to maybe get to that number was to give Ohio state a higher score. I don't know, but I thought 23 sounded about right. If Ohio state won this game 49 to 26, I don't think that's a panic inducing score. No, I just think they are going to win by more. And I'm trying to look, I mean, so um, they didn't, as we all know, they got off to a, a pretty easy start last year because they didn't have to play anybody good until Penn state and Michigan games, 11 and 12. Uh, I'm just trying to do the math on the fly. How many times did they win by at least 28 last year? Four scores. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of the first 10 games, they won by at least 28. So Nebraska's yeah. not Penn State, and they're not. And now again, so is Ohio State taking a step back? I don't, I don't, I don't know. So, like, I just think – a lot of we're going to be doing a lot of psychological analyzing of Ohio State when we analyze betting lines this year, because a lot of it's going to be what does Ohio State want to do? How far are they willing to push it? Again, Clemson could have scored 100. They didn't choose to score 100. They scored 70 something against Georgia Tech. But because I'm not so sure I don't even feel a little better about giving up 29 to you. And I, I should have put out the text before this, so we could have talked about it here, but I'll get the text out so we can talk about it before we actually make our picks on Friday for the Friday pod, what our bet is. We'll have the tech subscribers still are going to pick that bet for us, but you know, you got to match it. You got to, you know, Clemson just did their thing. All right, Ohio state. Here's your first chance to make an impression is, is 42, 14 enough. I don't know. Maybe you'd like to make a little more of an impression than that. So I've, I understand why this line is going up because if it came out at 23 and a half, I would have hit that pretty hard too and felt very confident about giving up that, that number of points. Yeah. It's just to me, it's like 42, 14 is still a, to me, that's just a convincing win. Like I, I know that we have to set different standards. Like I was just talking about with Notre Dame, like you have to come out and really take care of business against teams that you're supposed to do that against because your style points do matter. And so I, I think you're right that Ohio State is going to probably have to push the envelope a little bit. I will say, though, last year it makes sense to me that Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati and Indiana and Miami of Ohio didn't come out to start the year ready to – I mean, they were never going to really stack up to Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins. But to start the year and have to do it, obviously that wasn't going to happen. And I think that – so those early margins, I think that may, was a factor. I think the – I do think especially – when. How's these even still just has to prove it to me that they're ready to come out and just run a team into the ground the way that team could last year. And they're not going to do it to that level, but I still think that there, there are some vulnerabilities there, especially early, especially considering again, just there's some positions where we don't know exactly what's going on. Again, actually Florida Atlantic was one of the games that was in the opener last year was only a 24 point margin. It was one of the games that was close. Right. I'll, just, oh, right. I'll, right. I'll just run through very quickly. The first 10 games last year. This was Ohio State's margin of victory. 24, 42, 41, 71, 41, 24, 49, 31, 59, 35. But, so I'll give, I'll give 23 and a half or I'll give 29. Again, is, uh, to your point, is Ohio State 2019 a reasonable comparison for Ohio State 2020? If you're arguing not exactly, 
I think that's a good argument. I'm arguing not today. I may look back at myself and kind of like what you did last year, I think a little bit. Like we didn't, we, the way we talk about Ohio State 2019 is not how we talked about Ohio State 2019 on the first day of that season or the eve of that season. We thought they're going to be pretty good, but we weren't talking about them in the way that we talk about them now as far as just that top to bottom, front to back talent. And so maybe this team will show us more, but they, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's not a criticism to say this team needs to show us some things, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back and wrap up this Monday edition of Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. I call this next one Fear Factor, and it's like what percentage should Ohio State fans be worried about what could happen this week in this game? And I don't think that necessarily – maybe I should let you answer before I say it. Like, I don't think it necessarily has to be what's your – what percentage do you think Ohio State will lose? Like what's your, your, your – what percentage are you giving Nebraska to win this game? I, I think it can be maybe a little bit more complex than that, but I'm going to let you answer what is your, your Fear Factor percentage. So how much, like, how much should you be worried, like, as a fan? Because I'll say that to me, I would apply some of that worry to: Do they not look like the team I think they are long term? Exactly. Do they not look like a team that can run with Clemson and Bama? Do they look like they have holes that they didn't have last year? That oh boy, they you know they don't have a Chase Young replacement or Jeff Okuda replacement, and ay ay ay, is that an issue? So I think an opener to me, it's regardless of opponent because everything that happened. And again, I would not tie any worry to winning this game, but I might have like a 30% worry of just when you don't have Chase Young as part of your pass rush, that changes everything. When you don't have three first round corners in your secondary, that changes everything. You know, just like when you don't have J.K. Dobbins in the backfield, oh boy, I really noticed the difference. Like, again, that's a 70% chance that, no, it's not going to be that way. But I'll put that at least 30 right now just because they lost a lot of really good dudes. They have a lot of 2018 high recruits lined up to replace them. But even though I've seen it year after year after year after year after year for 15 years on this beat, it's still hard for me to automatically assume it how can anybody, how can you lose Chase Young and still be as good? It just blows my mind, even though I've seen it happen a million times. So I'll put it at 30% for Fear Factor. And for just those of you listening and, and those of you who've been following us for years, we'll have actual predictions later in the week. We're going to kind of keep that same um, schedule that you've seen from us over the years with the videos. I don't know exactly how we're going to do the videos yet because we're in the Zoom era and we um, – we already don't like each other that much and we prefer not to be in the same room with each other, but now we can't be. So I don't know how that's going to come together, but we'll see. We'll have something. We'll be putting those predictions out in some way later in the week. So stay tuned for those. I put mine at 21%. And for a lot of the same reasons you're saying, and it's not again that I'm not giving Nebraska a 21% chance to win the game. I think Ohio state's going to win this game, but I think there are reasons for concern, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And, uh, Although I, the reason mine I think is lower than yours is a lot of mine are just, again, tied up in some personnel things right now. Not only do you have new starters that may have to like, you know, get comfortable in those roles, even though they're veteran guys, I'm giving them some, some leeway there if for the first week. We don't know exactly what's happening on the defensive interior. You've got a new defensive coordinator calling those plays for the first time and be, but all, but because of Kerry Combs because of Larry Johnson because of even what we're seeing now from Al Washington and, and what he's done I believe in the what, what this defense I think can grow into 
I just don't know if they're going to be that in week one. Um, there, there's some percentage of that, that that leaves you vulnerable for an upset or a real scare. But mostly it's just like, do, do, do the problems on defense look bigger than even we think they might be? I think there's some percentage wrapped up in that. So I said 21%. I still think that's pretty low, though. I, this is the kind of game that, again, I – all the circum- it's, it's so hard to gauge things right now with all the circumstances of this season. I, I, I do have some confidence, though. Confidence maybe isn't the right word. But that we, we've been following Ohio State and how they've handled this, uh, the professionalism that they've kind of put towards this, uh, the, the deliberateness that they've put towards preparing for this season, kind of the, the accountability that the players have seemed to have for each other throughout this process. Now, maybe we'll find out a, a, something happened this week and a bunch of guys can't play. I don't know. But it does seem like there has been that kind of underlying this preparation for the last several weeks. I feel like they've the way they talk about what they've done behind the scenes, um, you know, focusing on fundamentals when they couldn't have full contact practices and stuff. I assume every team has done that, but I know Ohio State is talking about doing that. So I may be even overstating a little bit with the concerns I have for the defense, but I think it's, it's a healthy concern, at least for this first game. I will say, I think it's also very possible that it's not the defense looking good or the running game looking good that eases any worries. I think maybe it's just that, oh, look, Justin Fields accounted for nine touchdowns. Nothing else matters. Like the run game's okay. It's not as good, but it's okay. The defense isn't as good, but it's okay. Because Justin Fields looks like some combination of Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and nothing else matters. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'll give up 24. Who cares? But, like, Justin Fields is going to make sure they score 55 every game, and that's getting into the playoff. That he has the ability to be the answer for everything. It's like, oh, did we have a little miscommunication on the back end and give up a 61-yard touchdown pass? Oh, that's cool. I got it. Oh, did they kind of shut down our run game a little bit and we didn't hit a hole that was up? I got it. He just might be the answer to everything. I think that's right. I don't think it. I don't think Ohio State has to be the twenty nine have the twenty nineteen defense in order to get to the playoff this year. I think though that it cannot afford to be Oklahoma twenty nineteen, Oklahoma twenty eighteen, Oklahoma twenty seventeen, where you have this great def, this great offense, but in the end, that's not enough to win when you get to the playoff level and beat the teams like what we're seeing from Clemson and Alabama right now, or Ohio State twenty eighteen, or Ohio State twenty eighteen. Sure, or we, in we've seen. Yeah. We've seen with our own eyeballs. So, so I think, yeah, I mean, they can't be that bad, but they don't have to be great. They do not have right. to be, and the point we've made before, they don't have to be a great defensive team to win the national title, and I don't think they have to be as good as last year's Ohio State team to win the national title. I really don't. Justin Fields has to stay healthy, and assuming like that he improves, which why wouldn't he, and he was so good last year, he'll be even better, but they're – you know, that was a really good team that had a bad luck night and also had a monster LSU team waiting out there for him. And I just think – I think it's possible, as good as LSU and Bama are, I think it's possible that nobody is as good as LSU last year. Yeah, Joe I'm Burrow good. was so yeah. good. Their skill positions players were so good. I mean, Jamar Chase is going to be like a top five pick. Joe Burrow was the number one pick. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was the number one running back taken, and they had 14 guys drafted. Like, that was a monster team. There might not be a monster team this year. So we just have to keep the context as we keep comparing things. All you have to do is be better than everybody else this season, and that's very possible. 
Final segment here is who's your four, and this is where we pick our t- four playoff teams as it stands right now on Sunday night, October 18th. I'm going to let you go first, um, but I think we're probably exactly the same on at least three of these. So I think this is just going to devolve into who is number four. Who is because, four. <laughs> you know. So it's either same... who's your four or who's your four. Right, exactly, right. It's about – we always talk about this when the like, sentences that you can change the meaning – just by changing the emphasis of the words. But we always say this about like, if you're taking your, t- you're taking your kid to daycare, this came up sometimes in our lives. You could either say, you can't be late for daycare. Like, why are you worried about if you're late, it's daycare. You can't be late for daycare, who cares? Or you could say, you can't be late for daycare. Like, oh my God, it would be the worst thing in the world if you were late for daycare. You've got to get there on time or the whole world is thrown off. So who's your four or who's your four? I think there is no four. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) But. I I agree with you, but. (laughs) This is who I wrote down as my four right now. And this was affected by the way Georgia's quarterback looked. This was affected by North Carolina losing. This was affected by the way Notre Dame looked. This was affected by not believing that the Pac-12 honestly really has a path to the playoff. This was affected by the Big 12 being a a cluster. And I wrote down Penn State. Now, we will find out very quickly whether that is a reasonable thing, a reasonable team to write down, or an unreasonable team to write down. But if you just really, really, really start thinking about how it works and who is the team that's, who is the second SEC team and what's their record going to be? And who's the second AC team and ACC team and what's their record going to be? It is very possible that the second best team in both the ACC and the SEC will have two losses. The way things are right now, like, yeah. I, I, like it's, it's almost hard to imagine how they won't. The only way they won't is if somebody beats Bama. If Bama goes undefeated, everybody else in the SEC is going to have two losses. If Clemson goes undefeated, like almost every, everybody else in the ACC is going to have two losses. Everybody in the Big 12 already has two losses, except for Oklahoma State. So what that opens is a path for a team like Penn State to be competitive against a very, very, very good Ohio State team, not have to play Ohio State again, look awesome in the rest of their games, and stand there as a one-loss team at the end of the year with that critical second-place game that we talked about in the last week of the Big Ten season. Go beat Minnesota or go get another good win, a top 25 win the last week of the regular season, and then say we're 8-1. and one. Our one loss was in week two to Ohio State. It was only a 10-point loss. We were in that game for three quarters. We're the fourth best team in the country. I think the more you watch and the more you watch other people lose, the more possible that becomes. Now, again, that might get blown out of the water two weeks from now, but that's where I am right now. So similarly, I thought there were no good options for number four right now. And I then kind of started breaking down what are the most possible, the most likely outcomes of all of the potential fours that I don't like. And that was one of them that I considered. But then I started thinking if, if Penn state loses at, loses at home to Ohio state, what does it have to do with the rest of its schedule to, to be worthy of getting that fourth spot? Or if Wisconsin goes undefeated and then loses to Ohio state in the big 10 championship game, 
is it going to have done enough with the rest of its schedule for that not to knock them out of the, the four spot? Like Of all the things that I thought of that could possibly happen, including Oklahoma State still going undefeated, I guess, or somehow getting in with one loss, or Oregon, like you said, I think the Pac-12's path is tricky, and I already sold Notre Dame as a playoff contender. So the one that I came back to that I thought was maybe the most likely, as I say to her tonight, was Georgia figuring out a way to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. And then they would both get in with one loss. I think the Georgia defense, there is something there that they could rally behind and match up with Alabama for one night. I think something could happen with the quarterback play. Either you bring more out of this guy or you, or you go to uh, the USC transfer and, and, and find a way to get him on the field and, and coach him up and make him better. I don't know. But of, of a lot of bad options right now, I guess I still just leaned on the talent that, like you said, we know is on Georgia's team. It's just a matter of them putting it together for one night. If they get on a neutral field in the SEC championship game, could they make it happen for one night? I guess I find that as likely as Penn State or Wisconsin or Oklahoma State getting in with one loss. You find that as likely? You find it as likely that Georgia's going to actually beat Alabama as something else? I would find the second option in that scenario more likely than Georgia beating Alabama, almost no matter what the second option is. So I think it's a different – now, if you're deciding – do I think Georgia with two losses still makes as, as good of a case as any team to the committee? But I think well, that's part of it. Yeah. I think we've got to be ready to live in the world. The only undefeated SEC team right now, this is what happens when you play an all conference schedule, 10 conference games. Alabama is the only undefeated team in the SEC. Right. The only two undefeated teams in the ACC are Clemson and Notre Dame. So like people be losing. And so you start and that's okay. Texas A&M has one loss. To Alabama. Has Texas A&M gotten through? Are they going to win every other game and be able to make the same case that Penn State's going to make, which is... Let's say, if they do, then they're your Penn State. Is, I know. As likely but, as Penn State is, yeah. But I'm going to bet on Penn State ahead of Jimbo's Texas A&M crew right now. Well, they I haven't... Believe, I think their path is probably easier, too. I don't even I know who's left on Texas A&M's schedule. Some screwy SEC team. that Arkansas beat them or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like... LSU will beat them. You know, something will come right, up. Right, that, that, right. Like Auburn will pull something, you know. I'm, I guess they just beat Auburn. But or I don't know. I don't care. I'm just saying, it's like, if that's where we are, if we're at like, well, if Texas A&M wins out, I'm okay betting on Penn State for now. But again, it matters how you lose. That's what we're going to get down to because it's going to be harder to have. You don't get to have an impressive non-conference win. And the impressive non-conference wins used to be the tiebreakers in a lot of these things. You're not getting a shot at that. So it's going to be how you look in your conference and everyone's going to be trying to judge, well, actually how good is that conference? So it's going to matter if Ohio state looks awesome and Penn state hangs with them. I think it's very possible Penn state has a path. And I think to your point, I think Wisconsin could make the same argument. If Wisconsin's undefeated going to the big 10 championship game looks good. Ohio state's awesome. Wisconsin hangs with them. I think there's definitely an argument there the way we have watched everything else unfold in college football so far. Yeah. And I, again, I don't like any of the number four options right now, but I think that is one that people should not dismiss this year. That if Georgia, if Georgia gets through and gets to the SEC championship game, and then maybe it's just a heck of a game that they end up losing to Alabama there, but does the committee with, that says it's maybe have to look at style points or just 
the way teams look more than ever this year? Do they look at that compared to a team that had one loss against a more mediocre schedule and say, actually, that that team looks like they're the fourth best team in the country? That's that's something that I think people shouldn't dismiss this year. I think it's that's the, the two loss SEC team is is more plausible than it's ever been before. So that we have to tell them the news, Nathan. Were you going to explain? It's, it's some bad news for our most loyal listeners, but I hope they understand where we're coming from here. No Tuesday pod. Oh, okay, yeah, go ahead. No Tuesday pod because we cannot do more than five podcasts in a week. We actually, in the past months, have had a couple weeks here and there where we did a sixth podcast where, like, we recorded something for Friday and then something came up and we had to do it and then we pushed that one back to Saturday or whatever. We cannot do six podcasts a week while we are covering one of the best college football teams in the country. So we are going to do a post-game pod because, my gosh, it's the one you guys want the most. We're going to take texture questions over the text subscription in the post-game pod and answer them immediately, and we're going to try to get that pod up really fast. That post-game pod is going to be a priority for us every week. We are going to try to do a live Zoom call as often as we can. We cannot commit to it at the moment every week. But our thought process at the moment is that the Friday morning pod will be like our game prediction preview pod, and it will take place in a live Zoom call on Thursday nights with our tech subscribers. So those are two more reasons to be a tech subscriber. Live Zoom call on Thursday. Send your questions in, and we'll answer them post-game on Saturday. So then we've got to take a break somewhere in there. So what, the, what we're going to do, and if we have to adjust, we will. We will have this Monday pod, which is a look back at the national picture and a look forward at Ohio State's game. We'll take a break on Tuesday because we're not going to talk to Ohio State people until Tuesday. So then the Wednesday pod will be all this fresh stuff, all the fresh interviews we got from Ohio State players and coaches on Tuesday. We'll take all that information and spit it back out and analyze it on Wednesday. And then I think what we'll do is the normal big Wednesday pod that went for two hours, we'll move that to Thursday. And that will, be a, that will often be a theme. It'll be a big picture look like we always love to do. We like to go off in a weird direction and really break something down. Every now and then we make that a 20-question rapid fire. We'll do that sometimes. So the big Wednesday pod will move to Thursday. The Friday pod will be a preview pod. The post-game pod will be on Saturday. No pod on Sunday. Wrap up national on Monday. Look ahead on Monday. Off on Tuesday. And then Wednesday with all the fresh interviews we gather on Tuesday. So again, it'll be Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's the plan. And if, like, if there's breaking news, we'll hop in and do something. But just if you guys are our most loyal podcast listeners who are used to us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Get ready for Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, starting right now. So this one's going to have to get you through until Wednesday morning. Although if you listen to the headlines, I do five Ohio State headlines every week. I'm going to start dropping those on Tuesdays. So that'll be something in your feed, but it won't be the big, normal, meaty podcast you're used to. And I can give you this breaking news. We just got this email from Jerry Emig um, as far as the schedule for this week. So we get uh, Ryan Day. And Greg Madison and Greg Studrawa on Tuesday. No players on Tuesday, according to this schedule. And then we'll have Ohio State players on Wednesday. So we'll at least have offense and defensive coaches that we talk to on Tuesday. And that'll be a part of what we talk about for the Wednesday pod. So just for those of you who follow what we're going to have coming on a weekly basis, that's what it looks like we will have this week. We also have a, kind of a series of little features that we're running this week. Uh, season preview features. I've got ones on Justin Fields and Sean Wade. 
Stephen is writing on Wyatt Davis and Chris Olave. Those are going to drop on the pod or on the site in the mornings throughout this week. So look for those. And also for our tech subscribers, we had a, had a long break in the chain restaurant bracket. And I wanted to get that fired up like kind of before the games actually start. So we had our last four first round games went out to texters and they voted this weekend. We're moving into the second round now, 16 chain restaurants left in our chain restaurant bracket showdown. So, I mean, it's just, it's such a great time to get in on the, in on the text at 614-350-3315. I was so happy to hear this the other day. Not here. I read it from one of our texters at one of the pods at the end of the pod. I said, listen, if you're with us this deep into the pod, listen, man, like you really should be a texter. If you're here at out, you know, one hour and 28 minutes into this pod. And one of the people heard that and were like, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm still listening. So yeah, I probably should try this. And they tried it. So here we are. We're more than an hour into this one. If you're hearing this, you're probably geared up for Ohio state football. You may as well try it. Try it this week. It's a game week. We're going to have all kinds of stuff coming to you. Interviews with coaches, interviews with players, analysis, what we hear about the other team, all kinds of breakdowns, plus the chain restaurant bracket, plus you get to ask questions on a couple pods a week. So 614-350-3315. It's a perfect time for anyone who hasn't tried it before. Yeah, now, now is a great time, obviously, with the season starting. And I will say, I'm not, we're not asking you to do anything that we don't do ourselves. Like, I subscribe. Um, I'm a Patreon supporter of, I think, two or three different podcasts. And on those, it's just me sending them something because I'm like, well, I listen to you guys three times a week. I'll give you five bucks. Like, you know, just, just something for, hey, here's something for your trouble. But they don't give me anything in addition to that. We're giving you something in addition to that if you sign up for the text because you get the daily text from us, the information on the team, the perspective on the team, breaking news, all the fun stuff with the, 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 the goofy brackets and stuff like that. Oh, I guess they're not goofy. They're, they're deadly serious. We have to know what the best chain restaurant in America is. But uh, just all, all, the, all the good stuff. I mean, we, we think we, we try to load it up with value and we're, we're trying to find new ways to load it up with value. And so far, the price is staying the same. So um, that's as much as I'm, that's the hardest push I'm going to make for it. I think it's worth it. I hope you guys do too. Thanks and the for online us. book, the online book. And the, the online, online book. book. I totally forgot about the online book. We're about JK. halfway through. We're halfway through putting that out. But if those of you who sign up now, you can still access all the ones that have already posted. So you can still yep. read the whole book. Chapter seven on J.K. Dobbins went out on Sunday. But yes, as Nathan said, we still have chapters eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and 13 to get to you this week. But they're all listed there. You're not missing any. You know, they're not super long, but you'll have them. You'll have access to them. And if you can't read them all right away, you'll be able to read all 13 chapters of our online book on Ohio State's 2019 season. So thanks to you who are already subscribing. And for those who haven't, uh, we hope you give us a try. We will be back with you on Wednesday. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>